Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Well, I've gone and done it again. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood, back at you with story time. Here it is, Tuesday night, and I'm supposed to get this out to you on Monday. Oops, well, that's two weeks in a row I've been late, and uh, no excuse, just been... Busy doing other stuff on the weekends, and well, even though this is supposed to be a priority, I uh, last couple weeks has been unable to because of other stuff. That having said, everything uh, besides being busy and stuff, it's been a good couple of weeks here at the Kingswood Abode. Um, work's been very busy in the uh, the day job, a uh, bunch of drama and shenanigans and business stuff with uh, contracts going away and other contracts being gained and having to scramble to change things around and make sure we don't end up having to fire anybody. And unfortunately, I'm not sure we're going to succeed in the latter part there. But um, we're adjusting and continuing on. Interesting thing is that uh, (laughs) I'm a project manager for a, a contract, and uh, we just got another project that we bid on with me as the project manager. So that's sort of like, uh, hey, hey, dude, you got uh, might have a second job to do now. Second, fortunately, the second contract is a uh, part-time thing, but it's like, oh, well, so I'm gonna be working, you know, a whole bunch more extra hours each week, and I'm salary, so I can't ask for overtime. But hey, the company is getting paid for me twice, so maybe I'll get a cut of the. <laughs> extra pay or get a raise we'll see how that works out meantime though in the writing world i've been uh not doing that much the last couple weeks because i've been focused on that and a bunch of shenanigans with family kids were out of school from break fall break because we do a fall break here where i am and mom came to town and you know a bunch of other things i had to go on business travel and anyway yeah here nor there it's been a busy but a good couple of weeks. Let's see. I'm uh, continuing the workout regime. Just went uh, to boxing class earlier today. Man, I was sparring last week in boxing class and took a hook to the jaw. Right? It's like, it's like oh man. And uh, yeah, you got everybody's gotten punched in the face before. Every man who can be respected is has anyway. But this one just left me like, oh, son of a gun, bacon, and I couldn't chew for a cup without pain for a couple of days. And I was like, man, that was a good punch. I got him back a couple of times too, but it's like, sheesh. Uh, didn't do any sparring today, more drills, but it was like good, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and let's see. Um, lifting. I actually cut my lifting weight. Um, few weeks back in my squats anyway because I was running and running downhill and I kind of tweaked my knee a little bit and I went to put my normal weight in squats I was like ooh it's like okay I'm dropping that down so I dropped down to oh geez a good good 60 70 pounds been slowly working my way back up and feeling better but it's like oh man 
Um, I was worried for a little bit there, but it's it's good now. So, hoo-yah! Um, anyway, so that's, uh, yeah. Good. So life is pretty good. Uh, enough boring you about what's going on here. Let's get to the, back to the story, which is the part, second part of the Necromancer's Lair. Uh, written by me, read by me, because who needs a professional voice actor narrator when you've got the author to read it for you, right? So uh, when last we left, Gareth and his trusty manservant, Heatherly, had penetrated the cave that they are pretty sure is the back door of the necromancer's lair, and they traversed a try. They tried to traverse a crev, big crevasse, but they couldn't, so they skirted along the edge of it. Found this alcove with all these carvings and mystical diagrams on it, and Gareth kind of figured out how to make the diagram work, and he thinks it's a door, and then it lit up and glowed, and then left them in pitch blackness. And what the hell's going on? Man, now we'll find out what's going on. So stick around, and uh, we'll get to it. Catch you on the flip side. Okay, The Necromancer's Lair. By me. Read by me, and I apologize for it. Part 2. At first, Gareth thought he was blind. The light, as bright as it was, had overcome him completely. He had turned away too slowly, and he was doomed to live out the rest of his life in darkness, begging passers-by for whatever coins or scraps they deigned to share with him. It was almost enough to make him open a vein with the dagger in his hand. But after a minute or two, he realized he could see, ever so slightly. There was a light, extremely faint, streaming in from somewhere off to his right, or so he thought. It was difficult to tell because the light was so dim he almost thought he was imagining it at first. Once, with Gareth was young, he had locked himself inside a padded chest while playing hide-and-seek. He had almost died of psychification before his parents finally found him, but while he waited, he experienced near-total silence. The padding of the chest blocked the outside noise so well he could not hear anything. And after a short while, he began imagining he heard things. Dogs barking, laughter, whispers, the sort of faint whispers that would drive a man mad if he listened to them for too long. The light he experienced now reminded him of that day, and he felt a cold shiver of fear run down his spine. Swallowing to repress the bile he knew would try to come up if he let it, he pushed himself to his feet. Hatherly, Gareth said, trying hard not to let his sudden fear show in his tone. Are you still there? There was a silence for a long moment, then a discontented snort announced the manservant's presence. Here, my lord, that was most instructive. Hatherly, normally, was extremely pleased to learn something, the remnants of his old profession, no doubt. But not this time. He sounded positively chagrined. Not that Gareth felt much better. Sheathing his dagger, he peered around, trying to get his bearings, and failed. Then, all at once, he realized he still felt grainy wood in his left hand, the torch. He had not extinguished it, so why was it not shining? Gingerly... Gareth raised his right hand up to the end of the torch where the flame should have been. He felt no heat, even when he closed his hand around it. The top of the torch crumbled, ash falling away where the fuel and underlying wood had burned. But aside from that, he never would have been able to tell the thing had been lit as cool as it was. What the... It would seem, Heatherly said, that your query is a bit more clever than you gave him credit for. There was a brief pause before he added, My lord... Clearly, he was rethinking his pledge of service. Or he was just annoyed because he did not see this turn of events coming. Gareth would not give odds either way. Wonderful. 
Gareth tossed the torch, useless now, to the ground, then crouched back down and felt around until he found his axe. Feeling a bit better, with the weapon's solid weight in his right hand, he stood back up and shrugged his shield off his back, then slipped it onto his left forearm. What was making that light? Gareth turned his head left and right, but no matter which way he looked, it was all the same. Just darkness, illuminated by the faintest hint of light. Just enough to remind him he was not blind. He could find no source, see no details. But there had to be something there. He rolled his shoulders and straightened. He found himself hunching over without realizing an instinctive response to the oppressing gloom. Hatherly grabbed the back of my belt. He did not wait for the other man to respond. He just stepped forward, trusting in Hatherly's seemingly instinctive need to obey. Gareth felt the reassuring tug on his belt as he moved forward. Hatherly had grabbed on before it was too late. One direction was as good as another, so he continued forward in as straight a line as he could manage. It would be very easy to get turned around with no visual reference, but there was nothing else to it. And he had always been good at walking along logs, even with his eyes closed. Sooner or later, if he kept straight enough, he had to run into something. Sure enough, he did exactly that. One moment, he was walking slowly forward. The next, he found himself falling, his outstretched foot having come down on nothing but thin air. The shy of chagrin behind him and the desperate tugging at the back of his belt told him that Hatherley, too, had fallen. But he had only enough time to throw his axe aside. They would not do to lay on it and impale himself before he struck ground. Hard. Heartbeat later, Hatherley landed atop him. Gareth's breath left his lungs in a rush, and the momentary lack of breath clouded his other pains for a time. Finally, when he was able to inhale again, he took stock. He hurt all over. He had landed flat on his belly, spread of the impact all over his body. A small mercy, that. Had he landed another way, he would likely be nursing one or more broken bones. But after a short consideration, Gareth decided he would have bruises pretty much everywhere. But he was functional, if that was the right word for it. Get off me, he said, his voice harsher than he intended it between his aches and difficulty breathing. It was only after Hatherley rolled off and Gareth forced himself up to his hands and knees that he realized he could see again, or rather that the light was bright enough that he could make out his surroundings without difficulty. He almost wished he could not. He and Hatherley sat in a small room, maybe ten feet on a side, although room was probably a misnomer. All around him were steel bars, beyond which he could make out little of the chamber beyond. The floor was rock, as was the ceiling, and how did that work? He could see no hint of the hole he fell through, though it must surely have been there. Bugger me, he breathed. He looked around again. Whether it was because the light grew more bright or because his eyes were becoming more accustomed to it, he found he could see the chamber housing his cell a bit better. It was made of stone, chiseled blocks that fit together tightly enough that he wondered whether the builders had even bothered with mortar. And it was empty, except for their cell. And for his axe, which was lying five feet beyond the bars of the cell off to the right. Bugger me, he said again, more emphatically. Not even if you paid me, my lord, said Hatherley as he pushed himself to his feet. He took a moment to brush himself off, smoothing his clothing at the same time as he looked around. Well, he said... This is rather discouraging. He had a way with words, Hatherly did. It was difficult to tell how much time passed without an external reference. Though regardless, Gareth and Hatherly remained stuck in that small cell for far too long. At first, Gareth plotted ways to escape. They could team up to bend a bar out of shape, and then Hatherly, the thinner of the two, could slip out and figure out how to free Gareth.
Avalie could stand on Gareth's shoulders and work the stone where it encased the bars with Gareth's dagger. Given enough time and effort, he would surely be able to remove enough stone that Gareth could kick out a couple of the bars out. In truth, Gareth was surprised when Hathalie went along with those ideas, oaths or no. Regardless, it didn't work. Nothing worked. And so they sat idly, letting time pass by as they steadily grew more and more thirsty and hungry, and as fatigue began to set in, those sensations and the urgings of nature were the only way to measure time's passage. It must surely have been a day, maybe more, before their captor revealed himself. All at once, the seemingly unbroken wall of the chamber housing their cell became broken. A portion of the wall swung open like a door, except before it swung open there was no indication of any hinges or any break in the stone at all. In fact, the door bisected several of the stones that made up the walls of the chamber. A rush of air accompanied the door's opening, bringing with it a sickly sweet odor that Gareth could not quite place. It was familiar, but off, somehow. His contemplation of the odor was short-lived, though, his attention being taken by the man who stepped delicately into the chamber. Delicate summed the man up perfectly. Hathalil was slender. This fellow made him look like a hulking slab of muscle. Gareth was not entirely certain how he managed to support his own weight, let alone the weight of the black robes he wore. They were cowled, the robes, though he wore the hood thrown back, and were cinched around his waist by a length of red-brown cloth of some sort. The man's features were sharp, almost skeletal, which was fitting in a way, but far from weak. His dark eyes peered at Gareth and Hadley intensely from beneath narrow black brows that matched the short-cut black hair atop his head. The necromancer, Gareth presumed. Of course, the shambling figures of two reanimated dead men that accompanied him on either side as he strode into the room would have given that away even if he did not look the part. Welcome, friends, said the necromancer. His voice was surprising, deep and strong, belonging to a much more substantial man, and cultured. Gareth had encountered lords who spoke with less precision and elegance than this man. No simple, power-hungry lunatic, this one. Glad to be here, Gareth replied, trying to keep his tone steady, despite the shiver crawling up his spine. The necromancer smirked. I've no doubt. He stopped his approach about ten feet from the cell. The walking corpses halted as well as he crossed his arms over his chest. You are the first to stumble upon my back door, he said. The others all tried a more direct route. He made a vague gesture toward the corpse on his left. Gareth followed the gesture with his gaze and found his bowels turning to liquid. He knew that man. Man. Hard to call him that now. But Ranulf had been powerful, jolly, unloyal once. To see him standing there, barely recognizable from the decay of his flesh, even as the necromancer's ghastly art kept him from his rest, nearly unmanned Gareth. He had not known Ranulf had sought to challenge the necromancer. He had simply stopped coming to the pub one day. Gareth assumed he just moved on or found a different watering hole, though why he would not have at least said goodbye to those he would come friendly with stung a bit. Apparently, Gareth had been wrong, and that error filled him with fear. If such a mighty man as Ranulf could not defeat the necromancer, what chance did he have, especially considering the circumstances? He kept his mouth shut. Better to let the necromancer speak. Perhaps he would give something away. What did you hope to accomplish? 
The necromancer's tone was conversational, though tinted with a hint of derision. Gareth shrugged and spread his hands. Do you really need to ask? Amusement flashed through the necromancer's eyes, and he shook his head. No, I suppose not. I am, after all, the great menace. The threat to all humanity. He took on an ironic, almost mocking tone as he emphasized those last words. There was a moment of silence as the necromancer just looked at Gareth. Then he sighed and shook his head. Does it never occur to any of you that I might have a good reason for my studies? He did not wait for Garth's response. He just turned away and strode back through the doorway. A pity, he said, and made a circular gesture with his right hand. Then he was gone. But the animated corpses remained. Gareth blinked. Um, uh, okay. A sharp crack from overhead drew Gareth's gaze to the ceiling, and he leapt backwards, pushing some himself off the ground with a powerful spring of his legs. He did not go far before he slammed into the bars behind him with a loud clang of steel striking steel. Had he not been wearing his breastplate, the impact would have hurt a lot. But the ceiling stone that came in dislodged and fallen down right where he was standing would have hurt a lot more. Hathily, too, dove to the side. He hit the ground and rolled to his feet to Gareth's left, his eyes wide. My lord, he began. Yes, I know. We're in trouble. I'm working on it. Hatherley shook his head vigorously, his eyes locked on the ceiling where the block used to be. No, my lord, look! Gareth looked back up and his heart sank. Hands were reaching through the hole left by the block that had just fallen. Rotting, dead hands with flesh hanging in strips from them like so many torn rags. They scrabbled around blindly for all that Gareth could tell till they reached the next block over. And then they began tugging at it. The block, slightly larger than the one that had just fallen, had to have weighed a quarter of a ton. There's no way those dead limbs could move such a piece of stone. And yet they did. Slowly at first, then more quickly with each passing second, the stone began to rock. Dirt and dust fell from around its edges. Trickle at first, then a steady stream as the block came inexorably free. Gareth shuffled to the side to avoid being crushed as the second block came down and Hathaly followed suit. This was not good. Not good at all. If the falling blocks did not do them in, Gareth did not want to think about how easily such strong arms could tear him and Hathaly limb from limb if the creatures opted to come down and join them. And his axe lay out of reach at Ranolf's corpse's feet. Gareth took a second to wonder why Ranolf and the other corpses stayed behind if the intention was to crush or bludgeoned him and Hathaly to death. Then he had to leap forward to avoid yet another falling brook. By now, the ceiling was a more a dark, gaping hole than anything else. Dark as it was, though, he could see the walking corpses shambling around toward their next project. Hear their unnatural silence, the lack of breath and speech, beneath the sounds of their movement. Smell the stink of their advanced state of decay, a stink so strong he could almost taste it. Adrenaline prevented bile from rising in his throat despite the surge of revulsion he felt. Time enough as that sort of thing later now was for figuring out how to survive. The hands appeared again, tugging at yet another block, but this one was next to the first block that fell. Gareth dropped his shield to the ground, hopping onto the fallen block and reached up. With the added height from his perch, a pair of rotting wrists were easy to reach. He grabbed and pulled, twisting his torso to add more force to the movement. For a heartbeat, there was resistance. Then the moving corpse came free and fell, and he spun completely around to hurl it across the cell, toward Hatherley. 
Hatherley, he roared as he threw. The corpse landed at the serving man's feet and moved quickly to right itself, but not quickly enough. Hatherley's sword took its head off in one smooth cut. The corpse collapsed in a heap. Hatherley glanced at Gareth, his expression for once openly impressed. Well played, my lord, he said simply. Gareth grinned in reply, then reached up for the next set of hands. The five corpses in the ceiling managed to drop two more blocks before Gareth and Hatherley killed them all. Again. They never even tried to change their tactic, but simply kept on tugging and digging as Gareth pulled them down one by one. Hatherley proved efficient at dispatching them, though the last two required Gareth's intervention as well, as much due to the limited room to maneuver with all the fallen stone as anything else. But finally, the last of the corpses lay at Gareth and Hatherley's feet. Gareth drew in a deep breath and wiped sweat from his brow, then stepped over to Hatherley and clapped him on the shoulder. Well done, Hatherley. We may just make it out of this yet. No sooner had the words left his mouth when a metallic clang, followed by the groan of metal being stressed beyond its capacity, caused Gareth to turn around. Randolph and the other reanimated corpse, the necromancer left behind, a man who in life had been even larger and stronger than Randolph from the look of him, stood right up next to the bars of the cell. Between them, they held an exceptionally stout iron rod, which they had thrust between two of the bars making up the cell's walls. The two corpses pulled on the rod, hard. The bars of the cell groaned in protest again and slowly bent outward. Oh no, Gareth said. The Mechromancer's reason for leaving them behind was plain. They were his backup plan in case the ceiling corpses failed. He felt his eyes growing wide as his grin of triumph, which he wore so briefly, faded. His mouth suddenly dry, he glanced away from the two powerful corpses toward where his axe lay, so close but yet so far. If only he could get to it, they might have a chance. My lord, Heratheli began, as though he intended to say more, but when Gareth looked at him, the serving man was pale, his eyes wide. He stared at the massive corpses as they worked at the cell bars, and it was plain that, for once, he was not referring to Gareth when he said Lord, but instead to his personal deity. Gareth could not blame him for that. A few choice prayers came to mind, the ones he had recalled back on the ledge, and more. He quickly shoved them away. If they were to get through this, he needed his wits, not meaningless words spoken to a being that might not even exist. The bars were bending more quickly now, their groans of protest becoming more pronounced. Dust puffed down from the ceiling where the bars were driven in. Very soon, either the bars themselves or the mortar holding them in place, if any, would give way, leaving a space for the corpses to squeeze in. Or a space that Gareth could use to exit. It was a long shot, but there was no choice. He bent over and picked up his shield, then strapped it back onto his left forearm. Get ready, he said, glancing at Hatherley over his shoulder. When these bars go, we charge. Hatherley looked at him as though he were daft. He might have a point there. Are you with me, Hatherley? The slender man hesitated, then licking his lips nervously, nodded. It took only another minute or so. Then, with a final scream, first one bar, then the other, reached the end of its endurance and snapped. The top half of each clattered to the ground, falling free from their ceiling holes. The lower halves remained fixed in the holes in the floor, but bent over as they were, it would only be a small challenge to vault past them. 
The corpses released their great pry bar, and it too clattered to the floor. Ranolf stepped forward, his hands lifting, revealing fingers that had decayed enough that the tips were better called bony claws than anything else. The unearthly glow in his eyes dimmed as his eyelids, somehow still intact despite the decay of the rest of his body, narrowed. Gareth had seen that expression on the powerful man before, in life. He was readying himself for a fight. A new chill of terror swept over Gareth. How much of a man's personality, of his experience, of his self, remained when he became undead? Did Ranulf know what had happened to him? If he did, the man Gareth had known would have viewed this sort of existence with revulsion, with horror. Did he reside even now within his own skull, screaming for release, yet powerless to bring it about, or to resist the commands of the necromancer? Not me, Gareth said between barred teeth. I'll not go like that. Ranulf stepped forward into the gap between the broken bars. Gareth threw a deep breath, and forcing his fear down with the fiercest battle roar he could muster, he raised his shield in front of himself, and he charged. Behind him, he thought he heard Hathaway take up his own roar as he followed. Then there was only the stink of Ranulf's corpse as Gareth lowered his head and raised his shield a bit further. He struck Ranulf in the midriff. The impact was more than he expected, and he almost lost his feet. For a moment, he got the sinking feeling in his belly as he thought sure the large corpse would resist the attack. Then, abruptly, Ranulf fell backwards, and Gareth found himself following. It would not do to get into a wrestling match, so he tucked his shoulder as he struck the floor next to the fallen corpse. He rolled with the momentum of his fall, trying to put distance between himself and his foe. He almost succeeded. Gareth rolled to his feet and turned, looking for his axe. It should be right here. Then something grabbed his ankle and pulled hard. He lost his balance and fell to the ground before he could even begin to resist the pull. Unprepared as he was, he struck the ground hard and once again found himself struggling to draw breath as the air left his lungs. The noise of his armor striking the stone rang in his ears, stunning him almost as much as the loss of his breath. For a moment, he lost track of himself, disoriented as he was. Then a stabbing pain shot up his leg, and only the fact that he had lost his breath prevented him from screaming out. Then he was moving backwards, the grip on his ankle drawing him inexorably away. He looked back and saw that Ranulf's corpse was a hold of his right ankle with its right hand and had dug his claws of his left hand into the meat of the same calf. The corpse wore an expression of insatiable hunger, but underneath that... Satisfaction? Glee? Then it pulled with both hands, and any ability to analyze fled Gareth's mind before a second deeper agony as the claws dig deep furrows into his leg. Somehow he was screaming. When had he regained his breath? It didn't matter. He was caught. He was going to die and become... No! Gareth kicked with his left foot as hard as he could. The sole of his boot impacted the side of Ranulf's head with the snapping of breaking bone that combined with a sickening squish. The corpse's head canted to the side, knocked off true by the force of Gareth's kick. The tugging on his leg ceased and the pain diminished slightly as the claws burrowing stopped. Gareth pushed himself away from the corpse and his wounded leg slid out of its grasp. Madly, hope surged within him. Had he actually won? Then the corpse twitched. Then it twitched again. 
It moved its hands up to his head and, with a quick jerk, set it back right. Then his gaze leveled on Gareth and its eyes narrowed. He could have sworn he saw fury in that expression. It pushed itself up onto its hands and knees and then to its feet. Bugger me, Gareth said aloud. No, he actually shouted it. He realized that as soon as the words left his mouth. There was no way he could walk, not with his leg wounded as it was. Desperately, he pushed himself away from Randolph's corpse, scrabbling against the floor tiles with his hands and his left foot. Hatherly, where is Hatherly? Grunting and a curse drew Gareth's gaze to the left and his heart sank. Hatherly was firmly set upon by the other burly corpse. The nimble manservant ducked beneath a raking claw attack, but he bled from a cut on his left shoulder and right thigh. He countered, his longsword whipping toward the corpse's throat, but the thing dodged backwards with nearly the agility of a living man. It took a cut to the front of its neck, but it seemed to not even notice as it has renewed its attack. Oh, they were both in trouble. And then Gareth ran out of time to think. Ranulf's corpse bounded forward and swept its claws hand down toward him. In desperation, he rolled to the right, bringing his shield up above his body. The corpse's hand struck the shield hard, harder than any living man could have struck it. Gareth's shoulder flared with pain, and he found himself driven into the ground, stunned. Above him, he heard Ranulf draw back for another attack. Gareth grit his teeth and pushed himself up off the floor with his right hand. He rolled onto his back in time to see claws sweeping down at him. Somehow, despite this pain in his shoulder, Gareth forced his shield arm up. Then the claws slammed into his shield, and again his arm buckled. Randolph pulled his arm back again. Gareth could not take another hit like that. He could hardly move his shield arm at all now. He pushed away his left heel digging into the crack between the two floor stones, but he did not go far enough. He reached out with his right hand to grab onto something, anything, to pull himself away faster. His hand came down on a rounded, grainy piece of wood. He blinked and moved his hand up the wood. It was wrapped in leather an inch or so from its end. He knew the feel of that leather like his own flesh, his axe. Ranulph's corpse swung at him again. Gareth grabbed the axe and swung it upward with a roar. Axe met rotting hand in midair and the axe won. The shock of impact was less than Gareth would have expected. Maybe the decay was more pronounced than it appeared. As a result, his follow-through went further than he had intended. Had Ranulf pressed the attack, he could have taken Gareth with ease. Instead, the corpse recoiled, an expression that looked almost like pain. Or fear, maybe? No, Gareth couldn't be that lucky. Flashed across its face. Ranulf's hand, severed from its arm, landed a few feet away with a dry thud and began crawling towards Gareth, dragging itself toward him inch by slow inch. Gareth swallowed hard and kicked himself away from hand and whopping corpse alike, fear and revulsion lending his muscles extra strength. He only made it a couple feet before his back hit the wall of the room. And he was out of time. The respite ended as Reynolds' course charged back in, reaching for Gareth with his good hand and opening his mouth in a snarl, soundless except for the creaking and popping of joints that had long since lost their natural lubrication. Seated with his back to the wall, it was not a good fighting position, but that was what Gareth had. He was sure not going to end up as this thing's lunch, or worse, the necromancer's new pet. He shouted something unintelligible, or at least he had no idea what he said. 
and shoved himself forward and to the left. He came down hard on his already injured shoulder, and a new surge of pain lanced out. His vision blurred, and he saw spots. It was so tempting to just let go and collapse. For half a heartbeat, he almost gave in. Then he felt the breeze of Ranulph's claws passing through the air where his head was a moment before, and he forced himself to his senses. Gareth looked up to see Ranulph's corpse bent forward next to him, the follow-through from its miss, causing it to overbalance slightly, placing all of its weight onto its right knee, the one that just happened to lie within the swinging radius of his axe. The impact was more substantial when his axe bent into the side of the corpse's knee, but the satisfaction Gareth felt as his blow struck home was even greater. A gravelly crunch advertised the breaking of bones that had been made brittle through desiccation and the knee gave way, sending Ranulph's corpse sprawling headlong into the wall. Gareth nearly lost his grip on his axe as the walking corpse fell. The blade caught on something, a piece of bone, he thought, for a moment. Panic over being disarmed in such a situation overwhelmed his satisfaction in an eternal instant. Then the bone gave way, and the axe pulled free in a small shower of bone fragments and scraps of flesh. Reynolds' corpse still had his leg, but the knee was ruined, cleaned at least halfway through with the bones and connecting tissue with the large chunk missing when the axe pulled free. It would never again bear Ralph's weight. The animated corpse thrashed around when it struck the wall. It tried to lift itself off the floor, but it fell again, and the stump of its right arm did not perform the way a hand would have. It hesitated, and Gareth imagined he saw something resembling thought in its glowing eyes. Then it placed its good hand on the floor and pulled its legs beneath its body. The walking corpse pushed itself up onto its feet. Gareth's jaw dropped open, and he felt his eyes growing wide as his bowels turned to water with fear. No, it couldn't do that. But it had. It righted itself, and it turned its head to regard Gareth coldly, without feeling or thought, except perhaps, was that grudging respect in its unearthly gaze? Gareth scrambled backwards, but the blood from his wounded leg made the stones of the floor slick, and he got no traction. His terror increased. He was going to die, die, and become a slave in undeath. The corpse opened its jaw in a macabre imitation of a smile, and it stepped toward Gareth. The knee gave way completely. Gareth reacted out of pure instinct. He rolled onto his right side, putting his shield between himself and Reynolds' corpse as it fell atop him. The weight of the impact was substantial, but less than he would have expected had Ranulph been alive. Still, he found himself driven off to his back, the shield arm splayed out uselessly to its side. Ranulph clawed at him. Gareth grit his teeth in anticipation of further agony and was surprised when it didn't come. Instead, the corpse's claws simply scraped harmlessly down the front of his breastplate with a sickening, high-pitched squeak. The thing must truly have been without thought. How else could it have made it such a mistake? Beside himself, with a mixture of relief and incredulity, Gareth remained still while the claws completed their transit of his armor. The horrid blue light in Ranulph's eyes flared with chagrin or confusion or... Gareth did not stop to consider exactly what was or was not going through the thing's head. Silently blessing the fates that led it to blunder at that exact moment, he raised his axe, even as the corpse drew back its own hand for another attack then plunged it down toward Ranulph's head. The sound Gareth's axe made as it clove through the side of his old drinking companion's head was solid and final. It was sickening. 
In spite of himself, he felt a tinge of regret. Guilt, almost, as the gruesome light in the corpse's eyes flickered and went out. All right, and with that bit of excitement, we'll uh, we'll stop here. Um, man, things are getting pretty hot and heavy for Gareth and Hatherley. Uh, clearly, <laughs> their idea to go in through the back door didn't work out for them so well, and I uh, only can imagine there's going to be more, more challenge yet to come. Um, at this point, we're about 60% of the way through the story, uh, which means the next episode or maybe two more episodes left and we'll get it done. Probably two, because although I have gone an hour or so on these before, I generally prefer to keep it around 30 minutes or so, plus or minus. I mean, it, you know, I have personally listened to podcasts that were an hour and a half to sometimes three hours long. If it's the, if the, if the, uh, if the topic is good and entertaining, but for my own, you know, sanity of <laughs> having enough time to really get the things done, and also, you know, for bandwidth and just for, you know being respectful of your time i like to keep it shorter 30 minutes or so seems about right so probably two more episodes uh depending on if i can find a good place to stop or not uh between now and then might stretch it if i can't anyway uh so hope you enjoyed it if you have of course come back next week and we'll continue with the story if you can't wait that long because holy cow what's going to happen next you can go buy the book unfortunately it's not out in audiobook yet uh but you can find it in ebook um, I, like I said, I still haven't done the paperback version, even though it's really easy now with vellum, and I really should. Um, I just haven't. Um, maybe I'll do that this week. <laughs> maybe. Um, and we'll go from there. But, um, yeah, but you can find it anywhere ebooks are sold, but, uh, for a reasonable price. Of course, it's best to come to my website, my web store at SSLDenStorytelling.com. Why is that best? Because I get more profit that way. Because I don't have to let Amazon or Kobo or Barnes Noble or any of these other places take a cut. It's just me. So PayPal gets a cut or Stripe gets a cut. Um, but really, that's about it. So I keep about 90, 95% of the profit. Uh, and you can pay with PayPal, Stripe. You can pay with cryptocurrency. You want to send me Bitcoin. Hey, that works. Um, and then you get a handy-dandy link that uh, easy download through a service called BookFunnel, which will show you give you great tech support and how to load it all into your various uh, e-readers or just download a PDF straight to your into your computer and read it that way. That all works. It's nice and easy and more proper for me. But I know that's not necessarily what your guys' priority. So, hey, that's why it's available everywhere. Uh, you can send me an email at michaelkingswood.com. You can sign up for a mailing list there if you want to hear about new releases, which, frankly, have been uh, few and far between lately because I've been distracted by so many other things I haven't. I've got this big stack of shorter stories that uh, are pretty much ready to go. Uh, I've been When I write a shorter story, I send it out to all the various professional you know mediums out there the writers of feature contest anthologies magazines and stuff so generally if you you know write a story and to get to all these places it's like a couple year process with you know the time the editors take to review them and all that sort of thing decide if they want them or not before you can get through all the various venues so i've got some stories that i back from 2016 that I still haven't put out there because I'm waiting for all these other professional mediums to get through. And um, 
just because those professional mediums may not uh, want them doesn't mean they're not good stories, right? It's all about does the editor like it? Does it match what he's looking for right now for his particular magazine issue or his particular anthology? And, you know, and having sat through a number of workshops with editors and seeing how they make their decisions, it, it really, getting a no answer from one of these publication places really has no reflection on if the story is actually good or not. It's just a personal taste thing. So I have no compunction putting all these stories out there. I just haven't because um, getting published in one of those professional forums is paid advertising, right? I get paid, you know, I get paid six cents a word or more and get, get my stuff advertised to many thousands of people, the people and their readers. So why not go for that as opposed to, you know, putting it up for $2.99 and maybe selling a few copies and yeah, making a little bit of money, but hey, uh, you yeah, get more advertising through these. So, um, so I've been waiting. So I got this big stack. I've got enough to do a couple, uh, a short story compilation and a bunch of shorter stories and some longer stories and and I'm still working on my Space Navy book and I got to get Livervale Chronicles number six going and so I got a bunch of stuff ready to go and a bunch of stuff that's will be ready to go soon but I haven't put anything out <laughs> in a long time so the news list people are probably like hey I haven't heard from this guy or next time I put out I may email the email list a bunch of people are like who the hell's this guy oh yeah that guy I haven't heard from in nine months and you know, a lot of writers will tell me, you suck, you need to be talking to your mailing list on every week or something. I was like, no, it's annoying to me when I, that happens. I will sometimes sign up for things and next thing you know, I'm getting emails from them every day and it's like, all right, shut up, done, get out of here. Uh, so I prefer only to talk to people on the mailing list if I have something to say. <laughs> so anyway, so you know, come sign up for that if you want. You won't hear from me in a little while. But you just obviously keep talking here on the podcast. And as I have put stuff out, I'll let everybody know here too. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but I probably won't be there much longer. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So that's about it. We'll wrap it up here. Uh, thanks for coming by. I hope you enjoyed it. Spread, spread the word to all your pals. Like, subscribe, share, do your thing. Even if you don't want to buy the book, help me out that way. I'd appreciate it. And uh, talk to you next week. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>